The following podcast contains material that some people may find triggering or upsetting. If you suffer from a mental health condition, or think that you may do, consult your doctor. I am not a professional. Sometimes, when I've been recording these podcasts, I feel like I'm narrating something that's already happened. Something in the past. But that's not entirely true. Sometimes, especially at night, I can feel my thoughts drifting in that direction. I can almost feel my confidence draining from me, the self-hatred rising, and some level of anxiety setting in, usually because I can't stop thinking that tomorrow I'll have to drag myself out of bed and put myself through it all over again. Sometimes I don't want to do it again. In episode one, I told you all that I'm still here, and that is true, but it's also not enough. I don't want to just be here. I want to be confident. I don't want to be anxious about what I might do in the future on some particularly bad day. I want to live. This is Burdens, Episode 6. Let's get on with it, because this is the last episode of the season. Worries and fears are, say it with me because you should be used to it by now, totally normal. But sometimes they can feel like they're getting to be too much. There's actually a pretty interesting biological reason for this, and it's related to a phrase you've probably heard before, fight or flight. Basically, our bodies have this kind of panic mode which is actually an evolutionary advantage. When you encounter a perceived threat, your body goes into overdrive. That surge of adrenaline which makes us run faster, jump higher, or lash out stronger. If you want to survive an encounter with a predator, that's all useful. But in the modern world, we don't really have to deal with that on a regular basis. Anxiety is driven by this primal response. We perceive a threat, and just one rogue simple thought can trigger those same consequences, even if we're not in real danger. The adrenaline that we release causes all the classic symptoms we associate with anxiety, or in serious cases, a panic attack. Tense muscles because they're coiled like springs waiting to strike. Our heartbeats going like a machine gun, maybe even chest pains. The quick breathing causes us to feel dizzy like we might pass out. We even sweat more, because it's supposed to make us slippery and harder to catch. Plus, the additional heat regulation is useful if we're going to be trying to get into a scrap or run away from something. So, in some cases, just this knowledge, that can be really helpful. If you experience the symptoms, you can tell yourself why this is happening, that it's natural, and importantly, that it will pass. But, if the knowledge itself isn't enough, you can also train yourself. This is good if you know there are certain situations that always set you off. A classic one is a supermarket. Some people go to the supermarket, get anxious, then leave. This is actually a reinforcement of the anxiety, because you're sort of tricking yourself into thinking it only gets better when you remove yourself from the situation. 
this sort of slippery slope leads to some people getting into like full-blown agoraphobia. So instead, tough as it might be, we need to prove to ourselves that if we stay in the situation, the symptoms will wane and we will be okay. That might mean standing in a supermarket feeling very scared for 20 minutes or more, but you can do it gradually, bit by bit. For example, you could take a friend the first time or go on a less busy day. Build up to going on your own on a really rammed day. This is actually also how therapists deal with phobias too. It's called graded exposure. It's definitely worth a try. The other thing you could do is teach yourself distraction techniques. A lot of these are similar to the relaxation techniques we discussed last week. Breathing, counting, taking yourself somewhere else in your mind. However, it's pretty important that you only do one or the other. If you're using graded exposure, don't use distraction because it invalidates the test of whether you'll adjust naturally and be okay. One thing that gives a lot of people anxiety is communicating. Talking to other people can be daunting, but it's actually also one of the best parts of life. Feeling like you can voice your opinion, that you can confide in people, and that you can stand up for yourself. Those are all good feelings. So how do we communicate effectively? If you struggle with it, the first thing to understand is how we communicate. There are three ways. The words we actually say, our tone, and our body language. Out of those three, our body language and tone are actually a lot more important than some people realise. Imagine if someone shouted, I'm not angry, and maybe they lean forward and get in your face at the same time. Do you believe the words they said, or do you put more stock in how they've behaved? There are three types of communicators, passive, aggressive, and assertive. A passive person is someone who converses in an apologetic manner. Passive people are not honest with themselves, don't stand up for themselves, and take the path of least resistance. It might seem like the easy option to avoid hassle, but it can cause stress and resentment. An aggressive person is, well, aggressive. They don't respect the rights or opinions of others. You might get your own way if you're aggressive, but it comes at a cost, and being on the receiving end is unpleasant and stressful. So, the aim is to be what is known as assertive. Assertive communicators are open and honest, and they try to respect both themselves and the other party involved. They compromise, and this is definitely the best way to be whenever possible. I should mention that nobody is assertive all the time, and that's okay, but we can make a conscious choice to try and be more assertive. So let's look at how. To be assertive, you need to state your thoughts about the situation or problem at hand. Don't lay blame or guess what is going on, only use facts. You also need to state your feelings, but don't make others feel responsible for them. Crucially, you need to state what you want to happen in specific terms. Don't use vague hints or demands. So there's three ways to incorporate that into your conversation. I think, I feel, and I would like. One key to assertiveness is learning to say no to requests. It's better to be truthful now than to say yes and then regret it later. The first step is actually saying the word no. Practice saying it, because some of us never really do say it. Be polite, brief, and specific, and try not to over-apologize. If someone catches you unaware with a request, always remember the get-out-of-jail card. The get-out-of-jail card is to say, 
Can I think about it? If you struggle in the moment, give yourself time to evaluate it, weigh up the pros and cons, and come to a decision you're happy with. When giving criticism, try not to exaggerate or generalize. Use facts only, and present your criticism at an appropriate time and place. And if you're getting criticism, remember this. Any criticism you might get could be true, partly true, or completely untrue. And we all make mistakes. The trick is to stay calm and keep communicating. Ultimately, remember that you are responsible for your own emotions. You are in control of them. Nobody else is. Try not to get riled up if people break your personal values. For one thing, you don't even know if they share those values. If there was a simple trick to being confident, believe me, I would share it. If it helps, people tend to think of me as a confident person, and by this point you've had quite a, you know, lengthy look into my neuroses. Uh, so if I can appear confident, you probably can too. Personally, I find some small amount of confidence in dismissing the thoughts of others. I'm not entirely concerned with what other people think about me, unless I also care about them. That probably sounds heartless, but really I mean we tend to exaggerate how much other people think about us. In reality, people don't think about you very much at all, so they're definitely not as focused as you are on that thing you did wrong that one time. My other tip is not to focus on the confidence itself, but instead take a different path to confidence. Focus on improving yourself, and you might find that you actually start becoming a fan of yourself naturally. Basically, be someone that you actually like. And that's all I've got, really. My story up to this point, in small, highly edited doses. I could list dozens, maybe even hundreds, of other bad days, good days, and everything in between, but I feel like I've given enough of a public insight, and shared all the most useful learnings. And that brings season one of this podcast to a close. If I ever do another season, I would love to explore and discuss the stories of other people, not just myself. So if you're interested in that, do say hello on Twitter, and we can record something together, maybe, if you want to. I kind of want to uh, address something, I guess, and that's this kind of question about where am I now? Like, if this was a fictional story, you know, like a novel or a movie, you would probably expect there to be an ending, a conclusion, a happily ever after. So you might be wondering, well, did Adam ever get better? What happened to him in the end? But real life doesn't have endings like that, and I'm not sure I'll ever get better. In fact, I would say, it's likely that I won't. All I can really do in the meantime is talk about it. I'm not sure if a problem shared really is a problem halved, but it does feel like it's probably reduced by some fraction or another. So, thank you for indulging me over the past six weeks. If you've been affected by anything I've talked about, please do talk to a professional as soon as you can. And if you want to, you can always reach out and talk to me. I've been Adam Burt. And these have been my burdens. <laughs>